across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pies. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? Delicious. <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to Flavour on Cambridge 105 Radio. 54 minutes of local food and drink news and stories. I'm Matt Bentman. And I'm Alan Alder. Uh, no Sue Bailey today, but she will be back later in the month. And today we bring you the results of Velvet Magazine's Food and Drink Awards. They were announced last night in a special event in Newmarket and we'll be hearing from some of the winners too. Uh, we find out about a quite remarkable series of masterclasses being run by Culinaris and Amphora, and there's a big discount for any flavour listeners who might like to go along. And we find out about a, the Cambridge Beer Quarter, which returns with its now annual beer festival taking place next week. Steve Thompson will be along to guide us through what's good for foraging at the moment. And after a long spell of dry weather, a reminder from Dave Fox from Trumpington Allotments of how to keep your fruit and vegetables alive and prospering. And along the way, we'll be bringing you lots of local food and drink news. We'll have information about foods you can pick up for nothing in and around Cambridge. And at the end of the programme, we have a jobs roundup. Okay, so on to our first feature, and that is the Velvet Magazine Awards. Now, these took place yesterday, and they were nominated by the public, judged by industry experts, and the winners of the first Velvet Food and Drink Awards are, well, there are eight categories. First category is Producer of the Year. The winner was Jai Tea, with runners-up Gooey Puds of Wiccan and Stir Bakery of Cambridge. Now, in the second category, Farm Shop Stroke Deli of the Year, the winner was the Larder at Burwash Manor, with runners-up being Meadows of Cambridge and the Gog Magog Farm Shop, also of Cambridge. Now, in our third category, that was Pub Bar of the Year, the winner was Amphora of Cambridge. Now, Judge Giles Luckett said that um, he's an independent wine expert. By a nose, and not the nose on the glass of the Cabernet I had, this is my choice. Quirky great wine list, the staff clearly know their stuff and they seem keen to share their knowledge and their passion. It has the feel of an old style independent but with modern food and some brave wine choices. And here is Chong Chong Bo of Amphora and their opening night from March last year telling us how her interest in wine began. A friend of mine, Betty, invited me to a blind wine tasting event and prior to that I always thought the world of wine was a little bit pretentious and impenetrable but then when you remove all the uh, paraphernalia from the wine and, and taste it blind you don't get any of that and that's how I first got into wine. It developed into an obsession and then a business. So here I am running a wine shop uh, uh, about four years after that fateful blind wine tasting. 
Wine is so multidimensional. It's got that intellectual aspect, the hedonistic aspect, the scientific aspect, uh, and there's there's endless possibilities. You will never learn everything about wine every time you think you know about wine. Uh, you realize you don't because there's always more to discover, new trends, new producers, new angles. Uh, so it's a it's this never-ending journey, really, and, and I think that's what intrigued me so much about wine, and that's how I got into it. And the runners-up of Pub Stroke Bar of the Year was the Bell Inn in Rickingall and the Wine Rooms of Cambridge. Next up in the categories, Tea Room Stroke Coffee Shop of the Year. The winner was the River Terrace of St Ives, with the runners-up being Harvey's Coffee House of Cambridge and Procopio's Pantry of Bury St Edmunds. And the restaurant of the year, well, what, what a choice to, to uh, choose from. Judge Hannah Gregory chose Fansets in Cambridge, and she said, What a place. My first time eating here, but it has been on the list to visit for a while, and it did not disappoint. Intimate, unfussy, well-executed, everything from the decor to the dining was just perfect. Honestly, I cannot stop raving about this restaurant. Absolute chef's kiss. And I took a fellow chef with me as my plus one, and he literally chef's kissed. And the extract from Fansets just before they opened, they spoke to flavour. Dan has a fantastically impressive background as a chef. Morgan M in Islington, Rhodes 24, sharing a kitchen on occasion with Gary Rhodes, uh, Galvin Bistro in Baker Street, and if that's not enough, a three-star Michelin restaurant in San Sebastian, and also chefing in the Loire Valley. I asked Holly about what the food's going to be like and about the influence of Dan's chefing history. We're going to use British produce. I know lots of people do, but it's French technique. So and then the both of us lived out there for a year when we first got together. So lots of his training has been in France. He right. loves France. We both love France. Well, that was always a dream of mine to work in France. And I, I worked at a couple of Michelin-style restaurants out there, mostly at a, a restaurant called Liotroche, which was, was on the Loire River. It was a Relais Chateau hotel wonderful experience so you can expect duck liver parfait and artichoke on croutes really lovely one and that's Loads what dan's preparing dishes. now isn't that's it? exactly yeah that's yeah. what he's now doing in the kitchen and um, that's a labor of love but it, it will be lovely but it'll be so four starters four mains four desserts on the menu but yeah very very french in its influences and, and the runners up in restaurant of the year were lalbag in bourne and market house in cambridge uh, the Street Food and Pop-Up of the Year Award. The winner was Steak and Honour in Cambridge and Judge Pina Broccoli Anaya of 1-2 Culinary Stew said, My experience was flawless from start to finish. Service was friendly, helpful and welcoming, with customers, myself included, addressed by their name to make them feel valued. Consistency is guaranteed with every food order and mine was spot on. The OGs of Cambridge's street food scene going from strength to strength over the past 10 plus years. The winner serves truly top-notch food made with quality ingredients. And here's Rosie Sykes back in 2016 talking to Dave and Leo of Steak and Honour as they were building the interior of their then new Steak and Honour premises by the Corn Exchange. Let's start right at the beginning. We're going to do a potted history of Steak and Honour, Leo. So give it to me straight. My wife, Charlie, and I bought a dilapidated Citroen H-Van. David came on board. David and I had worked together at <laughs> Alimentum. We got a second van. 
the two of you together have made a real success. And what made you decide, the two of you, that you wanted to go into bricks and mortar? It, it was always the plan to get the restaurant eventually. And yeah, this site, you know, in the, right in the centre of town, couldn't be any better. Eat more get, burgers. Eat more burgers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We have a uh, alcohol license, so we'll have a, a nice selection of canned craft beers mm -hmm. and a, a sweet offering of some sort. Yeah. Excellent. Absolutely. Keep it simple. Yeah. We can also promise long waits, so um, join us for those. <laughs> <laughs> Cues out the door. So Hopefully. If, if you're going into the corn exchange for a gig, make sure you come early. Uh, yeah, basically. I think so. Yeah, I think you'd have to. Mm. Absolutely. But it's going to be a very exciting future ahead. Brilliant. And the runners-up in street food or pop-up of the year were Waffle and Co from Saffron Walden and our very own The Foraging Chef from Cambridge. And the Chef of the Year, the winner, not surprisingly, Sam Carter from Restaurant 22 here in Cambridge. And Judge Tina Roche, founder of Cambridge Cookery, said... What can I say? This is high-end, highly technical, superbly constructed, stunningly beautiful food of the highest order. Every single plate is like a piece of art. Every single morsel is multi-layered, using high-end kitchen techniques and creating bursts of heavenly flavours. It shows a chef who is extraordinarily talented and who clearly loves every minute in his kitchen. She's not wrong. And here's Sam and his partner Alex talking to Matt the week before their opening of Restaurant 22 back in March 2018. You'll be head chef here. There'll be a, a team of chefs, I suppose, to accommodate everybody. I've got myself head chef. I've got a sous chef moving down from Edinburgh. He's got a really good background, so he's been at Tom Aikens, Ted Sawyer in Australia. I met him working for Gordon Ramsay in London. It was a tough environment, very demanding, high pressure. The restaurant that was at Maze. It was Mission Star, but it was a high volume as well, mm. and just off Oxford Street. I remember the hours that Sam was doing at that time. It was just incredible, but he did so much and learnt so much there. I think those lessons will stick with you forever. You really cut your teeth there, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a great learning environment and working with some of the chefs in that kitchen, incredible chefs. And mm. obviously, if you surround yourself by talented people, you pick up their skills, and that's definitely what we did. The, yeah. the biggest thing for me is, like, don't put anything in your mouth unless it's delicious. full of flavour and delicious. Yeah. And that, that's what we want to do. We want to make people leave and go, wow, that tasted good. Mm. Well, that's all I want to do, and you want to yeah. obviously provide the service and everything yeah, like that. Yeah, just but... make it a really friendly, lovely atmosphere. We want people to feel special when they come here. We feel honoured. We've had people say, oh, it's my partner's birthday, or it's our graduation, or wedding anniversary. And it's a real privilege for us to have those people here and choose here to celebrate so we want to make sure they love it they have a great time and sam's food really is delicious as well <laughs> that's she his main thing that. <laughs> that's true runners up for chef of the year lee cooper the bedford lodge in newmarket bell sulston private chef in cambridge the food and drink hero the winner was Team Vino Gusto in Bury St Edmunds. The runners-up were Johnny Bescoby of The Brew Project in Ely and Jenny Jeffries, who wrote the books For the Love of the Land and For the Love of the Sea uh, cookbooks near Cambridge. And our very own Sue Bailey was the judge in this category. And she said David and Roxanne Marjoram and Jake Bennett Day of Vino Gusto in Bury St Edmunds had the vision 
to turn a lockdown project that started as an online wine store in May 2020 as a response to the pandemic into a vibrant, brilliantly well-stocked wine store open for just over a year that offers something just that bit different. A rotating selection of glasses to be tasted from their enomatic machine. The enthusiastic manager and owners love to chat and recommend wine from the selection of over 500 wines to their customers. They have a purpose-built tasting room to host a wide range of popular informal tastings and wine educational courses. Good local support and real love and passion for their wines make them worthy winners of the food and drink hero of the year. And details of how to get free food in and around Cambridge you can find on the Olio app. We won't be going into any of the examples today, but they're always there in and around Cambridge. You can use the Olio app and also the other free app called Too Good To Go, which sells unsold food from restaurants and shops, often at less than half price. So check out those two apps for reduced price or free food. And we'll have some very significant news about free and discounted food in South Cambridgeshire coming up shortly. Trying different wines with a dish is a fascinating experience. And when you get a good match, it is hugely rewarding. The food and the wine bringing out the best in each other. But what about trying different ingredients when you make the food? Adding different wines or different types of garlic, for example and seasoning your meal with different types of pepper. All of that too is hugely fascinating and rewarding. So, what about an evening when you learn about and taste the effect of the different dishes, the different ingredients on a main course, as well as trying the outcomes with different wines? And also tasting and learning about the cheeses on a cheese board and the meats on a charcuterie board, both with an accompanying wine. That's what happens at the Culinaris and Amphora Masterclass, which began this month. They started with a focus on food and wine from Burgundy. I spoke to Chong Chong Bo from Amphora and Zoltan Bacati from Culinaris. And first, Chong explained what the Masterclass evenings are like. During our Burgundy Masterclass, people came in and they had some wine. And then Zoltan went through and explained each cheese, where it came from, how it's made, what sort of characteristics to expect and um, th there's a bit of a fallacy in terms of what pairs with what so with the charcuterie for instance well there's no reason why you can't serve white wine so we had a chablis with the charcuterie uh, at the beginning of the evening the other important thing is that when we present a board it's important to augment the experience. So Zoltan introduced pickles. In fact, he introduced two different types of pickles um, and the mustard. So you weren't just getting the charcuterie, you were getting three different types of charcuterie paired with the, uh, the, the pickles. And then you need quite a high acid wine in order to complement that. And therefore, I think that the Chablis worked particularly well because Chablis is from a, a cooler part of Burgundy. So it does have that, that lovely acidity. But charcuterie is inherently sweet. So it has an, an, and strong and having another strong tannic red flavor, the red wine flavor 
but I'm, I'm very partial to white wines. Uh, uh, I think it doesn't balance out properly. So, so I think it, it, it was a, a good choice. And the masterclass is not just about tasting, but also about cooking. Here's Zoltan again on the making of Boeuf Bourguignon. So we presented the, uh, the ingredients and I actually started cooking the dish. Obviously, Boeuf Bourguignon takes a few hours, but we started it. We had that, that experience uh, uh, as well. It's a, it's a multi-sensory <coughs> evening because we show people the raw ingredients. They touch them, they smell them. Mm. Um, we freshly grind the pepper and then we pass them around. You know, one was one was grey, one was bright red, um, and they smell completely different. And the garlic. And, then, and the garlic. <laughs> the, the garlic. We we had a we had a Sainsbury's garlic and then wet garlic, and people could see and smell the difference and and feel the difference between these garlics. It was close to four hundred gram bulb. That's how big, uh, real fresh garlic, you know. Uh, there's amazing garlic from the Loire or Brittany. Uh, maybe it's at a higher cost, but it's a different, a totally different product. You, from you know when your hands smell of garlic for two days afterwards <laughs> that you're using real garlic. Yes. And, and, and mine did because I peeled all of them. <laughs> well, yes, assistance is always, uh, uh, always a plus. So. Um, also, uh, we cooked the Bourguignon with different types of wine, so people could appreciate the impact of the wine. Then they could appreciate the impact of the different pepper by seasoning their own dish. Um, and then they could, again, eat the cheeses, smell the cheeses, touch the cheeses, and the same with the, with the mustards. So very, it is very much a masterclass, and Absolutely. it's a very hands-on experience. It's, it, so it's not coming for a meal? I mean, should, should one have eaten before arrival? Or? No, certainly not. <laughs> I think people consumed at least a 1,000 calories over the course of the evening. We were not stingy with the butter that went in uh, at the, the end with the Boeuf Bourguignon. So, yeah, we already uh, mentioned the butter. Yeah. Well, <laughs> tell yes. me, well, I'm interested in butter. Tell me about the butter. What, what, what's the butter? Well, it's one, one of the last handmade bottles, uh, butters, which is rolled into a bowl. Uh, it has um, uh, sea salt crystals mm. from uh, 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 the Atlantic coast, and it's a pure uh, cream butter. And, and it's on sale in Culinaris, is it? Yes, it's on. It's on sale. It's it's whenever we receive it, it's it's, it's going quickly. Brilliant idea. How did it come about? Chong started her business a year and a half ago, uh, and came to the shop and we discussed cheeses and we provided cheeses to her events her uh, wine tastings and then i said okay this this could be interesting because we can set we can take it one step further we have a butcher on the road we have uh, our new shop uh, we have this great wine shop and for and the idea came like why not try to do this uh, wine-cheese pairing, bring it to the different level and chunking up with the name of master classes, which actually they are. I wasn't convinced at the beginning, but, but we have, we are uh, talking and presenting so many topics, not only wine and cheese, but cooking techniques, uh, ingredients, stories, on those ingredients you know it was the first time we did we did quite a good job i think uh, i was running a, a cooking school uh, back in budapest where the business was founded uh, over 20 years ago 
and I know that an event like this, you know, it's 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 much more effort. Tell me about the dates of ones coming up, John. So the Loire Masterclass is going to be on the twelfth of July, and the Southwest France one is going to be on the twenty fourth of July. So those are the projected dates, and you can book online. We'll give everyone who's listening a discount code. So if you book with Flavor One Hundred Five, then you will get a discount of <laughs> right. of thirty percent. And the venue is the venue is Espresso Library, mainly because we don't have a kitchen here, so we need somewhere with a kitchen. And it's also a good sized venue. It is, although we'd like to keep it quite intimate. So uh, I think it's hard to do a masterclass when you've got too many people. Uh, we want to give everyone the opportunity to mm. ask questions. Yeah. And that code again for booking online on the Amphora website is FLAVOR105. And you get a 30% discount. So the normal price of £60 becomes a very attractive £42. How can anybody resist? I can't resist. <laughs> uh, on to our first news break now for Saturday the 1st of July, beginning with drinks. The Histon Smokehouse has half-priced cocktails five days a week, Wednesday and Thursday from 5 till 7, Friday and Saturday from 4 till 7, and Sunday 1 till 3. Now, if you need to cool down during the next hot spell, Harvest in Mill Road is selling iced coffees, and Dolce's in Rose Crescent has introduced gelato cocktails. Peach cold tea with a scoop of mango and passion sorbet is one. Orleans Kitchen in Pease Hill is offering iced latte, iced Americano, iced mocha and iced hot chocolate. An interesting concept. And also French vanilla latte. And if you prefer something more solid to cool you down, Jack's Gelato in All Saints Passage is now open every day. An urban larder in Mill Road is now open from 8 till 5pm every day. Liz Young's Modern Table has a meal event called Dine in the Vines at Burnt House Vineyard in Suffolk on the 15th of July at 5pm. There will be three courses at a long table, each paired with a Burnt House wine. And Malloy's can be found at Ben's Yard in Stuntney near Ely. It opened yesterday. It has a good number of food sellers. Malloy's is selling its own pork pies, scotch eggs, fresh bread and other foods. Open from 9 till 5 each day and that is all the news for now. More later in the programme, including free or discounted food in South Cambridgeshire. Now, Monday the 3rd of July. That marks the beginning of the Cambridge Beer Quarter, a week-long multi-venue beer festival taking place across seven close-knit pubs off Mill Road. It was created because there's been no Cambridge Beer Festival for the last few years. Now, even though that has now returned, this new option, with its 250 real ales, ciders and craft beers, shows that there's room in this town for more beer festivals. The beer court all originally started because, for about three years, Cambridge didn't have an official beer festival. Cambridge Beer Festival had been cancelled three years in a row. With Covid, yeah? Yeah, with Covid, uh, and you're know, supplying certain things and stuff like that. They just couldn't get the equipment they needed. Yeah. As a result, we felt like there was a bit of a gap in the market for those cask beer lovers. So my boss is Hayley and Steve from here. Here being the Alex or, to give it its full name, the Alexandra Arms on Gwydis Street. Got together with Jeffro and all the other landlords from the surrounding area and essentially said, should we do a beer festival instead? We'll have a little chat about beer. Then everything else sort of fell into place. We also felt like it was an opportunity to 
get this community around Petersfield area, which is such a great community with some really fantastic pubs. And they're all very different or have very different people that run them. It was just sort of an opportunity to gather everyone around and invite everyone in and remind people of how great our pubs can be. And I think the beer festival, which is encompassing, you know, food and music and there's quiz nights and the likes, is just a really good, positive aspect for the pubs and for the community. One bourbon, one scotch, and one bill. The Beer Quarter Beer Festival, which is the third one, so it's us, the other six pubs. So we've got Cambridge Blue, Cambridge Blue, the Cambridge Blue, the Blue Moon, Blue Moon, the Geldhart, the Geldart, the, Geldart, the Alex, the Alex, Alex, Calverley's, Calverley's Brewery, Calverley's, and I'm missing one, the Petersfield. Can I just say the six other pubs? <laughs> and this one where we're recording now, the Kingston, the Kingston, the Kingston Arms. Yeah. Cambridge needed a beer festival, we hadn't had one for three years. And the seven pubs came together at a time of lockdowns and no beer festivals to try to promote the pubs for the vital role they do play in the community. Alongside that, there's a charitable aspect in every pub. Every pub has a different charity. At Calverley's, we're going to be supporting the uh, Dyspraxia Foundation. At the Geldart, we are raising money for the Arthur Rank Hospice. We here at the Kingston, it's the Alzheimer's. From the Blue Moon on Norfolk Street, our charity is the Kite Trust, which is just on Gwider Street, that works with young LGBT people and their families. Each pub can offer something different, especially food-wise. You've got Gorilla and Lamb at the Blue, you've got Oscar's Pizzas at the Blue Moon. Raph at the Alex, his, his, his burgers are supposed to be absolutely... Mmm, <laughs> burger. We sort of do gastro pub grub, and then you've got Hot Rocks at Geldhart with Elvis. Like Elvis at the Geldhart? I know my dad would love that, like with the musical instruments. Kingston doesn't do food, but they get Scott's pizzas in. We at the Kingston here don't operate food because in the current climate it's extremely difficult, but we have a really positive relationship with Scott's all day on the corner of Kingston Street and Mill Road, as do Calverley's Brewery, where they deliver here with no delivery cost. We're also having four days of My Persian Kitchen from the middle of the afternoon till about nine at night. And on the Friday, we're doing hog roast and brisket. So it's quite a big variety in a small area, so we don't compete with each other. It's a sort of, we can work together. Let's get some beer in you and then it's right to bed. Woohoo! Beer, 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 bed, bed, bed! So let's hear a little more about these pubs and what interesting beers they're offering at the Beer Fest. Starting with Calverley's on Hooper Street. We were a small microbrewery. It's two guys who started off doing homebrew in their mum's spare bedroom and it all got a little bit out of hand <laughs> and it all <laughs> turned it up into, uh, you know, a brewery, a tap room, and then a second site alongside the river. Ourselves at Calverley's, we've decided to go for a little bit of a German theme this year. So we have Kolschon, which is a lager ale in the style of a beer from Cologne. Yeah. I think it's 20 or 30 kilometres from Cologne. You can't call it the Kolsch with a K, but we're in Cambridge, so we get round that by calling it the Kolsch with a C. Yeah. So <laughs> it's very light, refreshing. It will quench the thirst, shall we say. <laughs> While at the Petersfield... Here we're going to have 11 in total real ales, keg beers and some really exciting brands, Cloudwater, Verdant, Tiny Rebel, Neen Valley, we've got some really good local ones as well. We've got Cambridge Brew House, Barsham, which are based in Norfolk. Mm -hmm. 
It's going to be a really good week, I think. So us at the Alex here, we've actually went to a brewery and brewed a beer for this beer quarter. So I had the idea because some of the other places do actually do brew days and collaborations with breweries, and I was like, well, why aren't we doing that? I mean, even if it's just the one beer, it's still it's brewed exclusively for us for this festival. Yeah. It's nice to sort of say, yeah, this is something our staff have made. All I want to do is drink beer for breakfast. Sophie, the manager at the Blue Moon, is all geared up for this beer fest. We brewed Blue Moon Day Pale Ale with Neen Valley. We're doing Wild Moon Session Pale with Wild Sky again. So we went back to the brewery and had a really nice day with the guys in Linton. Calverly's we did something different. So last year we had a really small pale ale, but this year we're doing a red lager, which I'm really excited about because that's going to be the only lager we've got on as our collab beers. We went to Pastore and did a Gooseberry Fool sour beer. At Three Rhyme Ice we decided we'd go for a sour we're doing Live, Laugh, Lime, so it's a lime and sabro <laughs> sour beer. <laughs> we had a great day and it, just a silly name. Last year we had a silly name, we had to think of something else silly. You look at the Blue Moon, for example, very much into craft beer, very different and sometimes a little odd things out there, not that that's a bad thing. Like, I've walked in there a lot of times, seen beers, and I've never even heard of that before, but it sounds kind of nice. <laughs> but we also visited four more breweries. Ampersand, which is in Dis, just outside of Norwich, and we're doing the Harvest Moon, which is going to be an American wheat. Then we went to Pretty Decent in London, and we've got Apple and Blackberry Sour. We've got Aura, which we've done a peach pale ale called Toadstool Tyrant, after Princess Peach. And Barron, which is really close in Buntingford, so we've got another IPA with, called Nelly and Bella, which is our pub dogs. So the pump clip's got our dogs on it, which is really exciting. I'm so excited to see how these all taste. Some of them are going to be cask keg comparisons, which is great for the beer lovers. Mm. And some of them will even be in cans, so we can get them to take away. While at the Geldart on Sleaford Street... Oh, we have over 30 ales and beers to try with pop-up bar from local brewery based in Fulburn. Moonshine Brewery and Simon Cider. Uh, late Simon. Ali's doing a great job carrying on the name of Simon Cider. It's very good. It's very cool. So our beer list on the website, Orkney Brewery, Osset. There's a Dea and Adnams collaboration beer, which is really cool. Dea's a Cheltenham craft brewery and they're teaming up with Adnams, which is in Southwold. Some of the brewers are going to come down on the Thursday to come and hang out and answer people's questions and just have a beer. But on that day, I'm hoping to do a little tour of all the other pubs as well, because <laughs> it would be nice to have a day off from just being in this one. So, <laughs> On the Thursday, we're going to have a barbecue here. We're going to have a meet the brewer as well, because we brewed a lime and lemon saison called Lime of the Saison like the song title, but that's with Cambridge Brewhouse, so Vanessa, the brewer there, is going to come down and have a little chat with everyone on Thursday or Friday next week. Hey, Mr. Bartender, please don't be so slow. So even though the reason for setting up this event has passed, because now the Cambridge Beer Festival is back, back yep. that doesn't mean that you guys are going away. No, definitely not. Like, the one thing we did decide was we weren't going to have it the same time, because last year we had it when the Camera Beer Festival would have been happening. Whereas this year we've decided, OK, it's back, 
We don't want to step on their toes. And we all know the guys from camera. We're going to do ours a month or two afterwards. So everyone's had a beer festival. They've had a bit of time to sort of want to go out and go to a new one. I think even the scale of this is quite nice. Last time the Kingston wasn't included, the Kingston now is. That's us and seven other pubs. They're now coming together. That's the nice thing about all of us being owned by various brewers or freeholds or whatever, is that we can all offer something slightly different that the other can't. Often people think we're in competition with each other. This area is uh, everybody knows each other. We're all very close. There's not, there's not a competitive edge. We help each other out. If someone needs a different key keg connector or gas or something like that. And we all go to each other's pubs. I've never worked somewhere in such a big place that has such a village community mentality as this area. Exactly. The better we all do, the busier and happier we all are. It's just sort of a nice community thing to do, really, isn't it? The whole thing should blend together and raise substantial money, in our case, for the Alzheimer's Society. It's so nice to see lots of new faces for us because, you know, each of the pubs has their own regulars and this is encouraging people to come visit the other pubs and just see lots of people getting excited about beer and coming to the pub and I think that's really important, especially, you know, after the thing we shall not name, like getting back outside and socialising and... <laughs> They're all within staggering distance of each other. <laughs> Six pack to go. So, it all begins next week, Monday the 3rd to Saturday the 8th of July. Their website will tell you that there is plenty of events too. Tap takeovers, meet the brewers, open mic nights, prizes, music, and of course, plenty of good food. Now, what you've heard here is just a portion of what's going on. Every pub is within walking distance of the other. Each one has something different to offer in terms of beer and food. So why not give it a try? You might just find your new favourite watering hole. Right, we're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back in two minutes with the foraging chef, Dave Fox, more food and drink news and our jobs roundup. So see you in two. Cambridge 105 Radio. On Sunday afternoons, relax with Jazz Today and Pete Butchers. Join me for music at the cutting edge. Mainly new releases, many on small independent labels. The stuff you rarely get to hear elsewhere. I'll also be keeping a watching brief on jazz events in and around Cambridge, as well as chatting to local and visiting musicians. Jazz Today at 4pm every Sunday afternoon on Cambridge 105 Radio. Go on, challenge yourself. Remember when you were picked last for rounders in your school PE lessons every week? What about that time you asked Jenny to the college dance, but your best friend Dan had already asked her, and she said yes? Or how about that promotion you went for and got pipped to the post by Mr. Big Shot? Well, don't worry about all that now. With General and Medical, you're never second best. For over 35 years, we've offered a wide range of private healthcare policies to suit all needs and budgets, catering to individuals and families, businesses and other organisations. To find out more, visit generalmedical.com. People first, always. The ultimate challenge is back. The 17th Cambridge Dragon Boat Festival in aid of Addenbrooke's Charitable Trust takes place on Saturday the 9th of September. Gather your colleagues, hit the water and hear the cheers of the crowd as you paddle your way to victory. No experience necessary. There's even a rain.
range of Bankside Entertainment, food stalls and fun activities to guarantee a fabulous day out for all the family. For more information and to register your team, visit dragonboatevents.co.uk. The 2023 Cambridge Dragon Boat Festival, organised by New Wave Events and supported by Cambridge 105 Radio. Cambridge 105 Radio. Welcome back to Flavour. Time now to catch up with the foraging chef, Steve Thompson. Sue spoke to him on Monday. Steve, you've been a bit busy recently and doing quite a lot of things, I gather. Hi, Sue. Yeah, we've been keeping nice and busy. We've been running some foraging tours. We've done some lovely pop-ups at Amphora again on Mill Road and just been out and enjoying the sunshine at the moment. It's been wonderful. I'll hear a bit about that shortly, but tell me more about the foraging side of things at the moment. So, end of June, the first thing that springs to mind for me is green walnuts. There's some patron saint in Italy, they say, to pick it on his day, which is the 24th of June. The easiest time for me to remember is summer solstice. So when it comes to summer solstice, we go out and we start picking green walnuts. So what you're looking for with a green walnut is where you can still get a knife straight through them. We're looking for the shell not formed yet, so take a needle with you or something like that, or you can even pull one down and crush it with your foot and just check it's not formed. And then the best thing that we're making this year, or my favourite thing this year, is nocino. Nocino is Italian in origin, and it's kind of, it's a liqueur, a bitter liqueur made out of green walnuts. So it takes a few months, kind of like beef leaf noyale like we've made before, very similar process in doing that. So this one is vodka-based, so we simply take 30 green walnuts, a litre of vodka, about 40% sugar, so about 400 grams of sugar, and then whatever wild spices you want to add to it. So we tend to add some hogweed seeds, some Alexander seeds, wild fennel, and some juniper. And then we just put it all in a big jar together, give it a stir every day until the sugar's dissolved, and then whack it in a dark cupboard and leave it till Christmas. That sounds like a lovely idea. And are those sort of forage seeds, are they original to the recipe or are they your sort of take on it? No, it's all our sort of take on it. The original recipes, I mean, they're Italian, so <laughs> all the ones that I've ever seen online have actually had a very mismatch of uh, spices used in it, some Indian, some Caribbean. So I think, to be entirely honest, it's used whatever. Uh, quite often when I'm doing these things anyway, I won't add any spices anyway and just let the natural flavours come through. The spices that we add are just what we have growing in the hedgerows around us at the moment. It mm. makes it nice and easy. And you say it's quite bitter. So what would you say it's nearest like in taste? Because bitter doesn't sound so good, but then that's quite a lot of sugar. So it's an after-dinner aperitif kind of thing. So you think lots of your bitters you get with that, like your sinens made out of artichokes, or say your beech leaf noyale that we make. They're all kind of quite bitter, bittersweet, almost medicinal drinks. And Nashino has that same kind of quality to it, bittersweet, medicinal. You do get a weird kind of herbaceousness through it as well from the walnuts, but it's fantastic. It's kind of a flavour in its own right. And even you can have it as just an after-dinner drink or a little bit just drizzled over ice cream. It's fantastic as well. Uh, we use it in little salad dressings with tomatoes. Obviously, you can't use it for this season's tomatoes, but you can make it, use it for the next have a play around with it really but dressings over ice cream and just as a little drink is just a good place to start what color is it so obviously with walnuts you it goes a real dark kind of blacky color so your natural dye that comes out of them it's important when you're so we always quarter the walnuts to put into it to allow really good infusion it's important to wear gloves otherwise you're going to get stained everywhere you're going to get lovely yellow and black hands oh right okay <laughs> that's a very useful tip <laughs> 
Another great thing to do with walnuts as well, because this time of year, and we should still be able to pick them into the sort of early few days of July as well, they should still be soft enough, is we can brine them and then pickle them. So we tend to put them in quite a strong brine, so you're looking at 20% salt and 20% sugar to water, leave them in there for about a month, and then put them into a pickling liquor to store. And then the longer you can leave them, the better. Our pickling liquors, we do one, two, three. So one part vinegar, two parts sugar, three part water. And that gets us our, again, the magic number we always talk about with acidic preservation is 4.6 pH. That gets us to 4.5. So it's uh, acidic enough to be safe, but not too acidic to take away the flavour. And then we just, we can leave them and pickled walnuts are fantastic. Just chopped up on a cheese board or you can then turn them into ketchup and there's hundreds of uses, but they're a really good product to be foraging at the moment and they've not been affected by this hot spell. Oh, they haven't. Oh, that's interesting. And also, I know, get them before the squirrels get them. <laughs> yeah, they, they prefer the, the wet ones later in the year, definitely. You should be all right at the moment for the green ones with the squirrels. But when the wet ones come later on in the year, yeah, it's a real fight with the squirrels for them. <laughs> <laughs> get there first. Um, anything else from the foraging front that you would be looking at now? Given the fact it's suddenly got so dry, what's that doing to various forage foods? We're not really looking at leaves anymore because that's all being scorched and stuff. We're moving on to kind of seeds and early nuts and unripe fruit and that kind of thing at the moment. So um, a great thing to forage at the moment still is green pine cones. So look on your pine trees for the green cones and then have a little search about Magolio. Magolio is a green pine cone syrup, really easy to make. Again, another one from I think the northern part of Italy originates from and they use it again for another ice cream serving. It's very simple. We get some green pine cones and some brown sugar, pack them into a jar together, give them a little shake and leave them on a window still in the sun. Wow, that sounds so simple. And I mean, what type, any any pine cones and how big should your pine cones be? So yeah, any, any variety of pine and uh, you're just wanting the green cones. So before they turn into like your hardwoody brown cones, you want it when they're young, green, still quite sticky. It doesn't really matter on the size. It doesn't matter at all. Just pack as many as you can get into the jar and then fill the rest with brown sugar. And it, the sun will do the rest of the work and it will turn into a lovely syrup. And once you've got it into a syrup, just strain it all off and there it's done. It's incredible the complexity of flavours you get into it and it's really, really hard to describe. Uh, pine needles have quite a distinctive flavour. You have to treat them like rosemary. They can be quite soapy and quite overpowering. The cones, the flavour that comes through this is nothing like that at all. It's it's a flavour all of its own. It's really worth trying to f to find out. I, I'm definitely going to try that. And and you literally just layer the sugar in between, or how do you do it? I just chuck it in. Put as many green pine cones in the jar. Chuck the sugar in. Give them a shake and just leave it. That sounds it's so simple. In, yeah, it is. It's all in its own environment in there as well. So just then, yeah, let time and the sunshine do its work. Oh, no, it doesn't ferment. It just turns into a syrup, as you yeah, say. It just turns into a syrup, yeah. it's not. So you can do the same sort of thing with fruits and stuff like that. It's a good thing to make. And it's like a Korean thing is kind of fermented fruit syrups. It's called cheong, I believe. Whether my pronunciation was correct on that or not, we'll see. But <laughs> I do it with blackberries and things like that and where you mix them with sugar and then they naturally ferment and you leave them in the sun. But this, this shouldn't really ferment. This is just more of a syrup that comes through it, yeah. Oh, that sounds fascinating. And... You've been doing, as you said, some pop-ups and you've been working with Amphora quite a lot and you've also been doing some foraging trips. So tell me a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, we've run a couple of foraging tours from the Panton Arms at the moment is where we're running them from in Cambridge. We'll probably have a few more coming soon. I think I'll probably release some dates in the next week or two of certainly our later summer ones and maybe some early autumn ones, and we'll get going with them again. Keep an eye on Amphora's website for when we pop up there. They sell so fast, we don't often advertise them much. And, yeah, we're just keeping nice and busy with that at the moment. Keep ticking along and keep having fun with food and experimenting. That's lovely. I gather you've been shortlisted for the Velvet Food and Drink Awards, which, by the time this airs, will have happened on Friday. So tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, that was a really nice one. Um we got a lovely email saying that we've been nominated for pop-up slash street food of the year. So we'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> Fingers crossed we're up against Steak and Honour and Waffle Co. So. Oh, that's excellent. And and I gather the category comprises people from, from Barry St Edmunds, Cambridge, um, Ely, Newmarket. So it, it's rather nice to have been nominated from the Cambridge perspective. Yeah, it's lovely. It's lovely. It's always nice to be uh, nominated for these things. It's a nice just yeah pat that you're in the right direction and we keep pushing forwards and keep doing what we're doing yeah oh no that's excellent and uh well by saturday the results will be out so all the best of luck (laughs) thank you very much right so thank you so much steve so that was steve thompson the foraging chef you can find him on social media on instagram on twitter and see what he's up to Yeah, and many congratulations, Steve, for his runner-up award in the Velvet Magazine's Food and Drink Awards. Very well deserved. I think Steve is someone who's starting to get the recognition he deserves because he comes up with so many ideas. Doesn't he? He explains them well. His food goes down extraordinarily well. Hmm. And those nights he does at Amphora, you know, occasionally does these foraging pop-ups at Amphora, just sell out extremely quickly, as he said in that interview, actually. Yes, yeah. Yep, certainly. Well... Time for some more news now, I think. Yeah, people who are impatient for this season's plums will be delighted to know that Bushel Box Farm in Willingham has said that its earliest ripening variety, the Herman, should be ready within the next two weeks. Meanwhile, Heath Fruit Farm uh, in Bluntisham has freshly picked cherries and apricots at its kiosk. Uh, but you'll need to take some pound coins. The cherries are four pounds upon it. You'll also need to check... Um, Heathroot Farm social media as well for their opening hours. Today, for example, they close at 11 o'clock. Flourish has punnets of edible flowers available to order on its website. For collection from Friday to Sunday at its farm shop, you need to order by 5pm on Wednesday. And if you fancy a culinary trip to Italy, uh, Cambridge Cookery School has space for two more people on its truffle-themed trip to La Marque, and that takes place in October. Congratulations to Cambridge's B. Wilson on the publication of her cookery book, The Secret of Cooking. More about that in a future edition of Flavour. Yeah, some wine news now. Gutter and Stars, who live in the windmill at the end of French's Road, uh, has a summer wine tasting on the 6th of July which runs from 6.30 till 7.30, and it's showcasing their new wines. The cost is £30. And on the 20th of July, uh, they present an exploration of English and Welsh wines, also from 6.30 till 7.30. Chris Wilson will be the guide, and you'll be tasting fizz, white, red and pink wines, and that is also £30. 
There's a Portuguese wine dinner at Finboy's in Mill Road on the 5th of July. Five courses, each with a matched wine. The evening is hosted by Hal Wilson of Cambridge Wine Merchants. The cost is £75 and the menu looks fantastic, starting with salt cod fritters and moving on to the equally exciting octopus, olive oil, potatoes and coriander. Mm, Fantastic. Uh, Back now to the subject of free or discounted food. Uh, This is really quite significant. There's a new mobile food hub funded by South Cambridgeshire District Council and it's run by a not-for-profit organisation called Hope CIC and it's being launched to further support communities during the cost of living crisis. Fresh produce and essential items, some of which will be free and others at below retail price, will be brought directly to villages around South Cambridgeshire and that is to help people with rising food prices. It's the first service of its kind in the district. The mobile food hub will visit Papworth, Orchard Park and Duxford weekly, with further locations to be confirmed. It made its first stop in Duxford on Thursday this week. Any residents struggling with increasing costs, including those who live outside of these villages, can access this mobile food hub by turning up on the day. No vouchers or referrals are needed. The van will be easily identifiable through its mobile food hub logo and the council is encouraging any resident who feels they may benefit from it, whether once or regularly, to make full use of the service. There will be a mixture of fresh and long-life food on offer and the food is coming from both donations and purchasing from local suppliers. Residents will also be able to buy essential affordable items. Councillor Bill Handley, South Cambridgeshire's District Council Lead Cabinet Member for Communities, said this food hub serves two purposes. On the one hand, the charity collects food, often from supermarkets, such as fresh fruit and veg, uh, all still perfectly edible, but which would otherwise be discarded. This produce is then distributed by the hub at low or no cost. Customers will have the option of making a donation to support the hub if they so wish, but the other purpose of the hub is to discreetly support residents who are finding it difficult to make ends meet. And Hope CIC is a non-profit orientated organisation that provides support for deprived families and they welcome volunteers to join the team. Additionally, donations of non-perishable food items or monetary contributions will help them reach even more individuals and families in need. To learn more about how you can participate or donate, please visit the Hope CIC website uh, or Hope Against Poverty uh, will lead you to it. Uh, Or you can follow them on Facebook. And that is the news for today. There's the music signalling time for news from social media. Uh, yes, there's not been a huge amount of postings this morning, uh, but Stir Bakery says it's introducing a pesto and parmesan rolls starting today. Um, Stem and Glory uh, in Station Road have announced two specials for July. Uh, I must say one of them does sound extraordinarily good. It's confit or oyster mushroom mock duck pancakes with mm. cucumber spring onion served with hoisin sauce. It just sounds wonderful. Uh, <laughs> and they'll be announcing more specials next week. And Rachel Roddy, who's a 
friend of flavour. She's been on a couple of times. Uh, she's taking part in a week for writers in Tuscany called Writing for Italy from the 4th to the 10th of September and details are on her Instagram account. <laughs> Now, the recent long dry spell has been quite trying for growers of food. For those who grow their own, here's Dave Fox with some tips for surviving droughts. A mulch has several advantages. It's going to hold the moisture in there it's by reducing evaporation. And it's also going to uh, help to prevent weed growth. So, yeah, and it's also as it's going to start rotting, so it's going to be adding some um, organic matter to the soil. Right. So it's sort of... That's a triple triple whammy for, for mulching. And, and what, you, what else can you use instead if you haven't got access to straw? Yeah, so I, pr- I prefer straw or, or hay, but any organic material really. I mean, um, even grass clippings, although if they're still decomposing, they can get a bit hot, so you wouldn't want to put them too close to the stem of a, uh, of a delicate um, plant. And um, compost, if you've got, if you've got some thick, la- thick layers of compost, I mean, yeah, spread it, spread it all over. You can also mulch with cardboard weighed down by stuff, although that's probably more of a probably more suitable for winter or when you're breaking in a breaking in a new bed. Um, the black stuff, I suppose. So the um, the soil conditioner made by Amy Sesper from the Curbside Collection of Green Waste. That's good. That's um, pretty um, free of weeds. So because of the high temperature process that it goes through, and it's closing the circle of recycling isn't it they collected it from your from your door <laughs> and it's, it's, it, come, it comes back so yeah. so so mulching to um reduce evaporation keep the moisture in is probably the first um the first recommendation to make watering easier when you're going to actually apply water make a little depression as you firm your seedlings in so that the water collects around the plant and doesn't just go running off um, another thing which i do a lot of um <clears throat> you, i use a swan necked hoe just to draw up a, um, a little ridge of soil either side of the bed so that keeps the water in the bed so there i'm not thinking about um watering individual plants i'm just soaking the whole bed but i'm losing nothing from the sides and, and the ends where i've created mm-hmm. these these little mm-hmm. ridges mm-hmm. um and just observe so um inevitably water sort of breaks through the dam at some point and then just use your boot to sort of fill, 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 fill that up make sure you don't you don't lose any so at least you're getting the most you're getting the maximum um, benefit out of all that water that you have carried all the long the long way from the uh from from the water trough um and some people talk about time of day of watering yes absolutely so what's that all about oh well um the best times are to water are when you're going to lose the least from immediate evaporation so that means when the sun is down so anytime at night but you can't see what you're doing then so <laughs> uh, early morning or, or late evening are recommended and if you're in a mollusk environment who isn't frankly um, early morning is better because the mollusks tend not to be so active during the day because they're predators and the danger of getting caught out in the in hot sun so um, the mollusks are going to be more effective at night. So if you water at nine in the evening, then they can come out and have a good munch on your crops over, overnight. Whereas if you water in the morning, they're less, much less likely to do that. So that is the um, recommendation. Of course, you know, some people have got other things in their lives, like jobs and children, people <laughs> <laughs> relatives to look after and so on. So, um, you know, coming to the allotment at 6am might not be possible for everyone. But...
And there's Green Onion signalling the start of our job section. At Daily Bread, which is a workers' cooperative and which has won a lot more customers since its recent worry about closing, is looking for staff and the closing date is noon tomorrow, the 2nd of July. There are several jobs available and roles will be multifaceted. So, in your application, you should specify any specific skills or experience you have, such as business, management, finance, health and nutrition, admin, marketing and social media, arts and creative. The pay is the real living wage at £10.90 an hour. It's eight hours a day. There are seven weeks annual leave plus bank holidays and on-the-job training is provided. Full details are on the Daily Bread website. Arjuna Whole Foods on Mill Road is also a workers' cooperative. It has a vacancy for a four- to five-day-a-week position. You can get your application form at the counter. Uh, Matigliani, also on Mill Road, wants a part-time shop assistant for weekends. Send your CV and covering letter to Matigliani at the Matigliani's group, matigliani.group.org, or pop into the shop. And now, a quick roundup of other jobs currently available in and around Cambridge. To apply, just go to the company's website or pop in for a chat at a quiet time. Now Darwin College requires a chef to party. Cam's Cuisine is looking for a sous chef at the Tickle Arms in Whittlesford. And at the Cock in Hemingford Grey, the Cock also needs a head chef. The Red Line in Histon, which is a city pub group, requires a sous chef. And that's pretty much all we can fit in for today. <laughs> we will be back in two weeks' time, actually, on July the 15th. Until then, goodbye. goodbye.